Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And we are in a series uh, called You Are Here. And we're trying to talk about the idea that so often we live either way in the future, dreaming of things in the future, or we live, we're sort of stuck in the past, and maybe it's a hurt or a pain in the past, or we just have memories in the past. And so much of our lives are, is not really present. We aren't really here at this moment. And one of the things we've talked about in the series is God can only relate to us in the present. I mean, God is here right now. Jesus is with us at this moment. And so we want to make sure that we're not just zipping through life, either looking forward to things or looking back at things. We want to make sure that we're present right now. And so we're looking at various components of our life. And today, we're going to talk about celebration. Okay, so that should be sort of fun. And if you're sort of the, the optimistic, glass is half full kind of person, you're going to love today. If you're a little more the pessimistic, glass is half empty, you're going to love next week because that's lament. And you can just get so excited for lament next week. Uh, Caleb gets to teach that one. I'm, I'm really glad about that. Anyway, um, let me just start off by saying to you, by making a confession, I am celebration challenged. I am celebration challenged. And I think it all stems back to my eighth birthday party. Uh, I was, yeah, you know, this is going to be really beautiful. You're going to see parts of me you don't want to see. But uh, my eighth birthday party, I was with my mom on vacation, and we were with a group of about 30 people. And this kid that we'll just call the son of Lucifer, who was sitting next to me, uh, at one point, uh, when the birthday cake went out, said, he sniffed his birthday cake, and he said, oh, you should smell this. And you guys can just, I know, you can see this coming. So being a dumb little eight-year-old, I put my head down, and he shoved my head right into the cake, came up. There was cake all over my face, and all these people were laughing at me. And uh, I did the most mature, rational thing. I jumped on that kid and beat the tar out of him because <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's where it all started, but, you know, Birthdays have never been a real big deal to me. Um, our family never really celebrated anything very much, and even holidays. We weren't religious, so Easter meant absolutely nothing except maybe an Easter egg hunt. And even Christmas, as we got older, was just not a big celebration around our house. So I never really was raised with much celebrating. And uh, when I married Julie, it was interesting because she was raised in a household where celebration was big. And when we got married, it was actually part of the conflict because she'd go all out on my birthday. And on her birthday, um, some of the presents I got her, were, I'm still paying for. You know, the, the, Kmart, the Kmart underwear tucked in the toothpaste box was probably the crest box. Sorry. Not that Julie remembers that, but oh, my word. And so... Um, so here's the thing I want to tell you, besides any more about that, which is, which is celebration, my attitude towards celebration is 180 degrees different than how God sees celebration. God is a God of celebration. He models it, he commands it, and he expects it from us. And so if in your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1, I just want to show you something really interesting about it, is that right from the beginning, God celebrated which that might surprise you. Why would God ever celebrate? But the reason that God celebrates, it says this in uh, Genesis 1.31, so the last verse of 1, and we're going to skip over into chapter 2. Incidentally, uh, original 
when the Bible was written, there were not chapter breaks. And so sometimes a flow of thought is broken by our chapter breaks that is not intended by the author. But here it says this, God saw all that he had made, so he's complete with uh, uh, creating the earth on the sixth day, and it was very good. So he evaluated it. It was very good. He took delight in it. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, now over into chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were com uh, completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from the work of creating that he had done. And this actually gives us sort of the definition of what creation is, or what uh, rather celebration is all about. The idea is that you take a break from your normal routine. God was creating day after day after day. You take a break from that. You stand back and look and delight in what has happened. That's what a celebration is. It's just taking a break from your normal routines and saying, you know what? I'm going to mark this occasion. I'm going to focus my attention on this particular thing that brings delight. And so we do that on birthdays. We do that when we celebrate a Christmas or, or some significant holiday, when maybe it's something like work day. Whatever it is, is you take a break. You do something that's different so that you can delight bring joy into what you're doing. That's what a celebration is. And we see that God does that right from the beginning. He says, let's take a break, let's delight, it's very good, and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what's happening. Now, he models it there, but he commands it uh, in the next book of the Bible. So flip over to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 and now what has happened is Israel has been uh, freed from Egyptian captivity and they are, at, they are at Mount Sinai. Moses is getting the law, the Ten Commandments, familiar with that, some very heavyweight instruction. And believe it or not, in that instruction, God says, I want you to celebrate. I want you to celebrate. So in verse 14, it says these things. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. In other words, three times I want you to take a break from your normal routine, from the things that you always do. You need to step back and take delight in what has happened. Don't just run through your life. Don't just think, well, that's done. Now i got to take the next hill. Well, now I'm moving. So many of us do that. And God says, I don't want you to do that. It's really important you take a break. So he says first, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, as I have commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Now, here's what he's basically saying. What is the, the feast or the festival of unleavened bread? We have another name for it. It is called Passover. Good. Yeah, Passover. You guys all know the Passover uh, celebration. So Passover, right? Passover is the story where Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so there are 10 plagues that come. And remember, the 10th plague is the most devastating of, of all because the 10th plague is that the firstborn will, be, will die. So it's a very significant plague. And God says, but... Those people that put blood on the doorframe of their house, the angel of death will pass over. They will be spared, 
And mercy, God's mercy will come on it. So kind of two things happen is the Jewish people that put blood on the mantle, their children were spared. And so they celebrated that. But furthermore, because the Egyptian children died, it finally freed them to leave Egypt. And so they leave Egypt, the Red Sea experience happens, major things. And that's what the Passover eventually comes to represent. And here's what God says. I want you to celebrate that. I want you to remember that. I want you to recognize you had been in slavery for 400 years, and yet I came in, and in an impossible situation, I wrestled you out of that situation and set you free. And God says, don't just slide by that. That's super important. Every year, I want you to celebrate that I did that for you. Then he says there's going to be another celebration. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you saw in your field. And uh, this is an interesting celebration too because while all of the celebrations have to do with harvesting, uh, they also take on new meaning. And this celebration eventually has come, to, has come and known as Pentecost. And maybe you guys are familiar with that, but the first Pentecost, this is so interesting, is you have the Passover when the angel of death passes over and they leave uh, Egypt. Fifty days later, which is what Pentecost means, 50, 50 is what Penta means, 50 days later, there Moses is standing on Mount Sinai getting the law. And so they started to say, we are going to celebrate, or God wants us to celebrate, that we got the law just 50 days after we were released from captivity. And so again, God says, I want you to celebrate that. I want us to celebrate the fact that when I gave you the law, you became a people. You became a nation. You became a community that could function. And I want you to remember that. And then he skips down. Well, incidentally, what does Pentecost symbolize later? Remember what happens? 50 days after Jesus celebrates Passover with the disciples on the last night of his life, 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, what shows up for the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in power. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. So Pentecost takes on a whole nother meaning that God says, well, now I want you to celebrate that. That's an amazing gift that God's given. And then Exodus chapter 23, verses 16 and 17 says, Celebrate the festival of the um, ingathering at the end of the year, another harvesting time, when you gather in your crops from the field. And then just uh, rehearses three times a year, all men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Now, this also took on another meeting called the, the uh, Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booze. And I don't say that because it sounds like I'm saying the Festival of Booze, and it's not booze, it's B-O-O-T-H-S. But I can't say that, so I say booze. should be booths. But anyway, there is that festival. And, you know, this is the most interesting thing. This festival celebrates, which is so interesting, the wandering for 40 years in the desert which is such an odd thing to celebrate because this was, they, they wandered 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience to God because they did not have enough faith to go into the promised land when God said, hey, we're taking the land. And in fact, over that time, every person over 20 who was part of that decision, which was everyone, died. And you think, why would God command them to celebrate 
such a dark time in Israel's history. And you know what the answer is? Is because during that time, you know what God did every morning and evening for 40 years, for 14,600 days, you know what he provided for them? Food. Miraculously, he provided food. Every single day, he showed up. Every single day, they had food to eat. And God said, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember when you're going through the hardest of times, I show up and I carry you through that. I take you through. So here's really the idea. When we celebrate as Christians, it's not just celebrating anything, which is fine. You can celebrate birthdays and significant anniversaries and so forth. But you celebrate, you delight in the work God has done. That's what a Christian does, is, is we celebrate what God has done, what he's done for the church as a whole, what he's done for me specifically, taking a break from your normal routine to say, God, you did this. And when we do it, when we remember the past, it builds our faith. When you recognize and you look back and you say, you know what, I was in a mess. I cried out to God and it was hard. But you know what? God was there. God carried me through. I remember that. I celebrate that. So, you know, the next time you hit a wall, the next time the world caves in, the next time you're in desperation, you know what you're going to think? God was there then. God will be there now. He's here now. That's why we celebrate. It gives us faith. We recognize that God has always carried us through in the past, and he'll carry us through now. Then there is also the idea of celebrating the future. And let me just hit this really quickly. But God tells us, don't just celebrate things that have happened in the past. He says, celebrate things that are going to happen in the future. And in Revelation 21, so now you go all the way to the end of the Bible, second to the last chapter, Revelation 21, verse 1, we have this description of how history is going to wind up what heaven is going to be like. This is a description of heaven. And it says this. This is John writing because it's his revelation. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down uh, out of heaven from God. Now this is important. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is imagery, just so that you know. You wouldn't get it because you didn't live in first century Palestine, but this is imagery of a wedding celebration. Anyone that was listening to this would have said, oh, John's describing a wedding celebration. And in that culture, weddings were huge as they are here. It was a huge celebration. And it was meant, just as a wedding is meant, primarily to look forward to the future. This is a picture of what we can look forward to. And so you have all kinds of ingredients, again, that would sort of go over our head. But you have the groom, and the groom, we'll see how well we can do as a church, okay? So the groom would represent God or 
Jesus? Good. Jesus is always a good answer in church. That won't be the answer for any of the rest of these, just in case you're bold now and you're going to scream out Jesus. Okay, so if the groom is Jesus, the bride is the church. The bride is us. And in that culture, the groom would always come to the bride and pick up the bride from the bride's house to carry her away, which is a picture of the second coming, when Jesus comes for his church and is going to take us away with him at the second coming. And then uh, what he does is he brings the bride to his home, which this is a description of the new heavens and the new earth. Just incidentally, heavens and earth, heaven and God's, the way the Bible describes it, is never up in the clouds. It's never what we picture, people in harps, jumping from cloud to cloud, all that kind of thing. That is not heaven from a biblical standpoint. It is always the restoration of heaven and earth, the new heavens and the new earth. So it's heavens and earth in perfect form, and Jesus will bring us to the new heavens and the new earth, and then it says that we'll have a celebration, that we'll have a, 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 a huge meal, that it's basically a raging party. And uh, if, you, if you're worried that heaven's going to be boring, that is not the imagery here if you like parties, because that's the idea. It's an ongoing party. So here's what's so interesting, is God in Genesis says, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to stand back after I create. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to command my people to look back and to celebrate because it's going to build their faith. And then he gives us revelation to say, and I'm going to show our people, my people, that you can look to the forward. Look forward and celebrate because that's going to give you hope. And that's what we need. We need faith and we need hope. And celebration stamp that into us. Now, Caleb's going to come, and he's going to talk a little bit about what happens in the present. It's not just looking back, and it's not just looking forward. So we celebrate yesterday, we celebrate tomorrow, and we celebrate today in this present moment. Here are just some practical, quick thoughts on what that might look like in our, in our everyday life. Uh, two ideas for you. Scripted celebrations, spontaneous celebrations. You have that in your notes. Scripted celebrations. That's more like the planned, rhythmic, routine that we set aside times when we are going to intentionally remember God's goodness and his faithfulness. We don't do some of the crazy kind of traditional stuff that God directed them in Exodus to do. But nonetheless, we still set aside time and we celebrate. God, you've been faithful throughout history. You will be faithful in the future. You are faithful right here and now. And we celebrate God's work in the world in those kind of ways. Christmas is an example. You know, December 25th, we set that aside. Christmas Eve, some of you start celebrating in November for Christmas, right? It's a, it's a rhythmic, routine, annual thing that we do. Easter, our, even our anniversaries, we celebrate, God, thank you for giving me this person, right? That's exactly what you do, every anniversary. God, thank you for giving me this person I can spend my life with. Birthdays, we celebrate life, that God created life. Those are the kind of scripted, rhythmic, routine ways that we set aside time and we say, thanks, God. You are faithful. You are still at work. We also do it in spontaneous ways, right? Spontaneous ways, enjoying God's work in everyday miracles, Right, stuff that, we, stuff that we often miss, but we're going to start looking for. And we just throw little mini parties when we see them. Because we should be people who are celebrating people. That should not be something that the world gets as the thing of parties. Right? That is not something that we delegate to people outside. We should be informing 
celebration and party. That should be a, a part of who we are, a regular thing that we do, spontaneous celebrating. I have, I used to have in my previous home, a wall of faithfulness. It's this ginormous cork board that we just kind of like secured to the wall. And I created this thing just as a reminder for me uh, where I pin up all these things, emails, articles, pictures, little, little like sound bites almost. Uh, if I feel like, oh my, God's, God gave me this word, like I was praying and I really felt impressed, like he said this to me, uh, that's a kind of a big deal. So I'm going to write it down and I'm going to put it on my wall of faithfulness so that I continue to see it. Or a picture of a big event I'm gonna, that, that God did in my life. I'm going to pin it up on this wall of faithfulness. In our 700 square foot condo at this moment, we don't have a wall of faithfulness. Uh, we have a file of faithfulness. Um, so you can have a file of faithfulness, a journal of faithfulness, whatever it is. But I would encourage you, what, what are ways that you can look for and remember and make a big deal out of seemingly perhaps small things, but nonetheless God is still showing up in life here today, tomorrow, this week. How can we make a big deal about that? How can we celebrate that? Look, at, uh, look back at your notes. This is a verse that... Kevin read earlier, it's at the very top from Exodus 23, 14. It says, three times a year, you are to celebrate the festival, celebrate a festival to me. Circle to me. So what we're not talking about there is the Orange County Fair or the boat parade, right? Those are great things. Those are great things. But, but God is intentional here. He says, I want you to remember and celebrate specifically to me. Celebrate to me. And then look at Psalm 211 on the back page of your notes. It says, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. If you're like me and you have a pen with you, I have this green pen. I always have one of these kind of pens with me. So if you're near me and you need to write something down, just say, can I have your pen? And I will hand it to you. <clears throat> if you're like me, I circle the word celebrate in that verse and I underline trembling and fear. Because the point here is that we're celebrating God. And then he's saying, but as you do that, keep in mind this idea of fear and trembling. Uh, that's, that there's, there's an awe, there's a respect, there's, a, uh, there's an awareness that he is really big. And I was, as I was thinking about this trip to Africa and celebrating God and being with those people that were celebrating there, I thought, it's kind of strange that, I, like, just a few days ago, I was on another continent, on the other side of the world, with people with really dark skin, who were dancing and praising and doing cool stuff, and I got to be a part of that. And I got sick, and I had this frail body, and Kevin does too, frail bodies, and we both got sick, right? The, these bodies that God created that we can't even keep healthy a lot of the time, but God created them, just like he created those Africans over there in that continent called Africa. And we flew back and we're here today and we're talking about moving to the library and how awesome that is and reaching and impacting and making a difference in Huntington Beach and the surrounding areas, Fountain Valley, Garden Grove, Westminster, Seal Beach. God created all that. He created all of these people, all of us. He keeps air in our lungs, right? We have all these great plans and we want to celebrate and we must remember that this God that we celebrate is the source of everything. He's the source. He's the creator God. And so it's with that kind of awareness. That's what, that's what this means with fear and trembling. It's that kind of awareness, that kind of respect 
that reminder that this, is, this God's pretty big. He's pretty big. And he invites us to celebrate him, and that's a big deal. Let's look really quickly. We're running out of time, but I want to give you a quick little summary. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Before we get to that verse in your notes and on the screen, I want to just tell you, this, this story is about David when he's king. And the Ark of the Covenant has been taken by the Philistines from the people of Israel. And David wants to get it back. Okay? And so David is making plans to go get it back. He goes, he rallies like 30,000 troops, his best fighting men, and he goes to get this ark back. And he's bringing it back. And, he's, and he says, it, we're going to pick up, I'm just going to read if you have your Bibles, you can read along, and then we'll get to the verse in a minute. Verse 6, when they came to the threshing, threshing floor with this ark of the covenant, uh, Yuza, who's one of the guys who's carrying it, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. So I picture Yuza, he, he, knows, he knows kind of how you're supposed to treat this ark. It's literally supposed to be the expression of God's presence in the world, right? Obviously, God is present everywhere. He always has been. He is still. But this was how God said, just to get your minds around it, Israelites, I'm going to give you this ark so that that's kind of a visual representation of my presence. As far as you're concerned, this is my presence, okay? And so there, there were specific instructions on how to treat it. So when they're carrying it and the oxen stumbles, Uzzah's like, oh, I got this, I got this, don't worry. And he puts his hand on it, which was a big, a big no-no. So he puts his hand on it, and it says that the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day they call the place Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord from that moment, from that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. So instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So for me, that's just a picture of this kind of reverence toward the presence of God. Uzzah says, I got this, I got this, I'll fix it, and I'll stabilize, I'll solve the problem. And God's like, no, 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 no. And then you have Obed-Edom here who's like, his perspective is, I get this. I get the Ark of the Covenant. Where would you put the Ark in your house? Obed-Edom, he opens up his door and he's like, we have uh, God's presence. And we need, to, we need to leave it here for a minute. I, I get this. I get, I get um, you know, wife, you know, uh, get some cookies. Uh, the king's here, and he's going to leave God with us. Um, um, let's, okay, so they clear out the living room or something. I, I imagine they put it on the, uh, on the special rug. I mean, no more TV, right? We have, we have the ark of God's presence in our living room on the rug. Kid complains about the TV, and he's like, no, 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 uh, don't worry about it. And, and I, I imagine them walking in this room and just kind of seeing this little glow of this ark. We could spend like a whole three-week series just talking about this story, but real quick. I, I, There's there, this, this, this little glow, and they start to see uh, there's something different having this, this ark with us, this, this presence of God with us. I imagine his wife says, hey, honey, remember the garden? You got, you got to come see this. <laughs> Imagine the hardest, most difficult plants that you can possibly plant. The tomatoes, they're just, they're just abundant, right? They're just ginormous, the size of my head. All of a sudden, there's stuff that they didn't even plant is growing. Uh, the kids are coming home with straight A's, and they were C students before. I don't know. It just says that his house is blessed. His whole household is blessed. 
and imagine them celebrating the presence of God in their home. He took the attitude of, I get this. I get God's presence. So now David was told about this, that the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went back. He changed his mind. He goes, okay, maybe, uh, maybe I need this. He goes back to Obed-Edom and he carries the thing into the city. When those who were carrying it, carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken just six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. So now it's a change of mindset. Right now, every six steps, they're sacrificing, celebrating, and having a party. Every six steps. Everybody still alive? Cool. Let's have a party, right? Every six steps, now the presence of God goes with them, and they party. The story goes on that they come into the city of Jerusalem, and David is just going bonkers. There's music playing. He's dancing around half naked. He can't help himself. He's so excited that the presence of God is now back where it belongs, this Ark of the Covenant. And his, his first wife, Michael, she has a real issue with it. She's humiliated because he's acting a fool, and he's naked uh, virtually. And she says, you have disgraced us. You have been, this is humiliating. And then that's when we go to this verse on your, in your notes, verse 21. It says, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord that I was dancing and praising and singing. Who chose me rather than your father or anyone in his house. He appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. He goes on to say, I will, I will be even more undignified than that, Right? Because he chose me. Friends, he's chosen you. He's chosen us. His presence is with us in this place, in your home, when you go to work. He says that he puts his spirit in us. That is the mystery of the time that we're living in. No more arcs, tabernacles. He puts his spirit in us. What if we celebrated every six steps? What if we became people who just made a big deal about the fact that the presence of God is with us, is still at work in us and around us all the time? Celebrate your involvement in God's bigger story. And then celebrate God's everyday miracles. Psalms 89, 16 says, they rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. 1 Thessalonians says, rejoice always. Again, I would circle always. Underline, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The, the idea of all and every and always and continually, those kind of words, they, they, kind of, they kind of reek of a constancy, right? Despite whatever circumstances may be, in all circumstances, we're people who celebrate, who praise, who rejoice. When the report card's good, that's easy to celebrate, Right? When the job is going well, that's easy. But what, what about when you're out of work? Can, you, can we still celebrate God's faithfulness? I'm speaking at an event this Friday night uh, called Hopeful Hearts. And this banquet was birthed out of this beautiful young couple who had these two twins. And one, both of the twins had heart defects. They lost one of them. I think she was three years old, maybe five. She died in her dad's arms. And they have taken that tragedy 
and they are throwing a party at Balboa Bay on Friday night because that tragedy has led to saving of numerous other kids' lives. They have raised money, they have helped doctors make advances, they have made a, just a big deal about this, and they are celebrating, they are throwing a pretty sweet party on Friday night to honor their child, but to honor God's work because of this loss. And it's going to be a privilege to be a part of it. How can we be people who rejoice in all circumstances, who see what God is doing, even through the veil of hard times, of a down economy, of job loss, of strained relationships? How can we be people who celebrate the work of God, his presence with us all the time, no matter what? One final thought, one other practical thing I just want to leave us with is a simple, simple way that we can do that. And that's to celebrate life change in others. First of all, in ourselves, but then look for how can we celebrate life change in others. I thought of the famous story of the prodigal son, right? The son comes home. The verse is there in Luke 15. It says the father was so excited that his son was home. His son hadn't even done anything yet. It was just the fact that he was home. He was back He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. This is going to be, we are going to be a community of people who celebrate changed lives, who celebrate God's work in people's lives. We're going to make a big deal about it. And so I'd encourage you to start looking for that in your own world, in your own space. Where can I celebrate God's changed lives? life. Where are those people being impacted by God? And I can celebrate them in that. We have a a way that we do this. It's one of the things that Jesus himself said. He reminded us to do this on an ongoing basis. We call it communion. It's really just saying, hey, this this is a reminder of what God did in giving up his life for us. Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. That even though I gave you these frail bodies that you live and walk in, I'm going to let mine be crucified and destroyed for your sake. That's what the bread means. And he said, here is the cup. It's my blood poured out for you. That my blood was shed. Do this in remembrance of me also. And so we do this as a regular routine, one of those scripted reminders that God is faithful then, he is faithful, he will be faithful and come back one day. And today, in the midst of it, he's changing our lives, right? He's changing the lives of everyone in this place. And so we want to be intentional, we celebrate that. So let's, let's go ahead and, and send those through. As you get this cup, just hold the cup, take the bread or pita or cracker or whatever it may be. Say a little prayer. Just thank God in your own way. Have a little mini moment of celebration. Oftentimes when we do this, it's more of like a solemn, subdued tone, and that's okay because of what we talked about, that reverence, that gratitude, that realization that God is big. But at the same time, let your heart celebrate. Let your heart celebrate that he is in the business of changing lives, yours, mine, the people around us, and that he continues to do that to this day. And then when you're ready, just go ahead, eat the bread, drink the cup, and we'll continue to worship with music.